Welcome to First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis, the birthplace of Congregational Humanism. We carry on that tradition of free thought today, dedicated to promoting a free search for truth, meaning, and justice. Our web address is firstunitarian.org. I'm David Breeden, Senior Minister. Welcome. I think that every institution from government to animal control to any nonprofit, every institution should ask itself often, are we here only because we are here? Are we here only because we're here? It's an important question. Think about all the groups you've noticed that are here only because they've been here from churches to clubs to groups to rock bands. That's the question I want to explore on this new member and annual meeting Sunday very quickly here. Is FUS only here because we're here? Why are we working to maintain this institution? To get at that question in a deeper way, I want first to imagine Swamp Man. Now, I know that this is Swamp Thing, not Swamp Man, but you have to realize that philosophers um, don't have great illustrators, and so they don't tend to, and so we'll go with this one. The Canadian moral philosopher Donald Davidson posed a thought experiment, quote, suppose lightning strikes a dead tree in a swamp. I, the philosopher, am standing nearby. My body is reduced to its elements while entirely by coincidence and out of a completely different molecules, the tree is suddenly turned into my physical replica. All right, now Davidson goes on. My replica, the swamp man, moves exactly as I did. According to its nature, it departs the swamp, encounters and seems to recognize my friends, appears to return their greetings in English. It moves into my house and seems to write articles on philosophy. No one can tell the difference, but there is a difference. My replica can't recognize, recognize, right, anything in the first place because it never cognized anything to begin with. All right? You can't recognize if you haven't cognized. I, he goes on. I can't know my friend's names, though of course it seems to. Uh, it can't remember my house. It can't mean what I do by using the word house. For example, since the word house, it makes no sense to it. It did not learn English and does not understand the meaning. It doesn't understand any meaning at all. I don't see how my replica can be said to mean anything by the sounds it makes, nor can it have any thoughts." End quote. Now, Dr. Davidson died back in 2003, but his thought experiments concerning what a self is the real self, continue to fascinate uh, philosophers, students, and it continues to generate ideas, especially as we think about artificial intelligence, of course. 
As is clear in the Swamp Man scenario, it is the interior life, the interior life that Davidson claims makes up a self. What's going on interiorly? Outward actions do not necessarily reflect inner life. And of course, some of you recognize that the Turing test is back in the genealogy of this idea. I'm going to talk more about it next week. How we think, that we think, that we speak and take action with intentionality is, according to Davidson, what makes us sentient beings, acting with, well, maybe even free will in the world. Now, other philosophers have considered the same idea through the famous transporter in Star Trek. The machine is assumed to transfer a person, every molecule of a person, exactly as that self was, and then it goes to another place, which in the show appears to work, uh, except when the plot depends on it not working, of course. Now, when it works, the characters show up on a new planet or whatever with all their intentions and their interior lives in place, don't they? They can speak and take action exactly as they had behaved before. But what if Spock's interior life ends up in Kirk's body? Well, hilarity will ensue on the show. But this is a serious question that we human beings need to figure out for ourselves. What is a self? What is a self? What do we mean by that? Some argue that for such a thing as a transporter to exist would mean that each person going into that transporter would be killed or at least cease to exist each time they go into it. A new being would come back out of it, some philosophers argue. But what makes a copy a copy? Can there be something we could call an authentic copy? Or is every copy a fake copy. It's sort of like, you know, uh, what is that? Uh, real artificial wood, isn't it, you can buy? For, for Professor Davidson, this is a very serious point, and he, takes, he makes it very explicit. He says, nothing in the world, no object or event, would be true or false if there were not thinking creatures. Nothing in the world, no object or event, would be true or false if there were not thinking creatures, all right? Why? Well, for him, it's the same reason that Swamp Man is not the real, not the self of the philosopher that went into the swamp. True, false, real, unreal, good, bad, subject, object, event, all of these are the perceptions of sentient beings. Now, I'm not just saying human beings, I hasten to add, sentient beings. Non-human animals are not automatons or artificial intelligence either. Sentience. For true or false to exist, intention has to exist. All right. In other words, self exists because you have an intention. Now, no intention, no self. Now, I hasten to add that I'm speaking in terms of consciousness here, and decision-making, I'm not talking about people having, in coma having no rights. But the intentionality of consciousness appears to be what gives us a self. Now, 
With that in mind, allow me to ask the question again, is this institution here today only because it has been here for a long time? In other words, if a thing called First Unitarian Society went into that transporter in 1881 and comes out First Unitarian Society in 2023, is it real? Or is it a zombie-like copy? Well, we know some institutions that are that, don't we? My answer is that it depends upon you, the collective you that is the collective consciousness of First Unitarian Society. To help this reflection, let's consider a, a, a couple of mission statements. Now first, our sister congregation across the highway, Hennepin Avenue, United Methodist Church. I hasten to add, by the way, I'm not Christian bashing. The senior minister there is, is a, a good friend of mine. I'll be going to her retirement party in a couple of weeks. We're not arguing about that kind of thing. But this is what the mission statement across the street says, Hennepin Avenue, United Methodist Church's mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Not a bad mission statement, except for us, I think, there are a couple of sticky wickets. <laughs> One, what are the intentions and actions of a disciple of Jesus Christ? There does seem to be some disagreement about that. <laughs> We've noticed. What is, what do we want to transform the world into? There also appears to be some disagreement about that. Not a bad statement, but also not real clear. Now, the pride flag says it all across the street, but let's look at our 1881 statement of purpose. Now, we still have the incorporation documents from this group in 1881 when they were writing in ink, and it says the purpose is to form an association where people without regard to theological differences may unite for mutual helpfulness in intellectual, moral, and religious culture and humane work. All right? Now, that was a radical statement in 1881. People without regard to theological differences may unite in this congregation. That statement was radical then, and I would say it's still radical today. We are not here to make disciples of Jesus or Buddha or Marx or Darwin or anybody. No, we're here to be ourselves intentionally. We unite without regard to theological differences, which means that we're not testing for or looking for similarity or difference in terms of theology. We don't run people out of the room because they're not humanist. That's not what we're looking for in terms of intention. We unite for mutual helpfulness in intellectual, moral, and religious culture and humane work. We unite to be mutually helpful. That is actually has a definition unlike what it means to be a disciple, right? Mutually helpful, meaning it ain't helpful if I don't think it's helpful what you're doing to me, right? It's mutually helpful and we work together. We unite to be mutually helpful among ourselves and in the larger world. And here is the mission statement that we have on our website today that we practice. As a congregational humanist community, we at the First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis foster a free search for knowledge and meaning, strive for justice, and serve one another, the Twin Cities and beyond. 
Humanist in this context means that today, just like in 1881, we're not going to ask about your beliefs or even your intentions. Rather, we're going to call you to join us fostering a free search for knowledge and meaning, striving for justice, serving one another, the Twin Cities and beyond. Striving and serving. And I'm going to talk more about that next week, you know, how not to be a zombie in a congregation. Two, two things can be true at the same time, as we all know. Yes, this institution has a proud history, but no, we are not finished with the work that our forebears set us to do. We are here today to join with the many generations of free-thinking, free-acting people joining together in the call of those founding words. We want to do it consciously and intentionally. So may it be. Thanks for listening. You can find much more about humanism and what's happening at First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis by visiting our website at firstunitarian.org.